We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Happy Monday, Packer fans. Welcome back to the Pack-A-Day Podcast. My name is Tyler Grzegorik. Uh Tonight, I will be joined by Jacob Westendorf. Uh, together, we are filling in for the godfather, Andy Herman, as he is ill in bed watching football. So uh, we're here today to talk uh, wildcard weekend and uh, briefly talk about Seahawks Packers, not to spoil anything for you, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're briefly, you know, here to briefly talk about those and then look forward to next weekend. So Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It was a good weekend. I, all four games were pretty entertaining. Uh, all of them were one possession games. So no complaints whatsoever on, on wild card weekend. And now I'm, I'm juiced up. Uh, I, I didn't know who I wanted the Packers to play coming into the weekend, but as soon as it was Seattle, it was one of those things that just felt like it was fitting. If Green Bay is going to get to where they want to go, that's a demon they have to exercise. And that's the last time I'm going to mention anything that happened five years ago. <laughs> it's so, it's so true though, because well, either way, uh, they were going to have to take care of, you know, some, some dirty laundry, either the Eagles, uh, you know, not right now, but the Niners possibly, you know, they're going to have to take care of business against, like you were saying, some demons in order to get to where they want to get this year. And um, I do have one question for you, though. What was your best moment this entire weekend? Uh, watching Tom Brady's career end on a pick six. So we're on the same page here. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's exactly the answer I was looking for. 
so with that, why don't we why don't we review that New England and Tennessee game? Uh, Derek Henry, uh, I think everybody's ready to admit that they were just wrong about him. I mean, he's he is what he is. It's like it's like the DK Metcalf, which we were talking before we got on the air. But it's like DK Metcalf. Some some guys are just physically better than everybody else, and I, I think Derrick Henry really falls in that category, and um, they're going to ride him all the way to the Super Bowl if teams are going to let him. Yeah, big, fast, strong. I mean, it's it's uncanny. The other night, I mean, watching him play against that New England team and watching the Titans honestly push the Patriots around, I think that was the most insane part of the whole thing was that, I mean, the Titans, I don't think they ended up throwing for 100 total yards. So for all the talk about Ryan Tannehill and this renaissance – he he made a couple nice plays when he had to, but you could tell it was very clear if the if the Titans were going to move the ball, it was in the hands of number twenty two. And I mean, I made some jokes of run him till his legs fall off, whatever you need to do, but give this guy the ball thirty five times if you need to. They did, and eventually, I mean, you can tell that's one of those things where, you know, we live in this new age where there's so many numbers and analytics and things like that, and they matter. Those numbers matter. I'm not here to tell you they don't, but there was a play late in the game that can show you where. One of the things that the all-the-way analytics crowd mocks is this concept of body blows, quote-unquote, where running the ball just kind of weakens a defense a little bit like that. And you saw it as the game went on. Derrick Henry stretched out to the right side in 27. I think his last name was Jackson. I can't remember his full name, so I apologize for that. You're right. But Henry had him squared up, and he wanted no part of that. They were tired, and they didn't want to tackle him anymore. They physically took the will away of the New England Patriots, and that's really, honestly – the way the Patriots won the Super Bowl last year. They rammed the ball down the throat of the Los Angeles Chargers. They kind of had to shoot out with Kansas City, but they really did that on the ground a lot as well. And then the Super Bowl, which is one of the ugliest games ever, which might bode well if it wants to be that way again for the Packers. But they were able to do that last year. And last night, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't stop the run. And I'm sorry, but the fraudulent goat that is Tom Brady looked like he was 55 years old. And I don't know if his time in New England is done. I don't know if his time as a player is done, but his time as a great quarterback is done. I think that's set in stone. Yeah, you know, that was the first thing I noticed uh, as the time was winding down in that game. Brady just looked disheveled, disinterested. He, he did not look like he wanted to be a football player for the New England Patriots or period anymore. Um, that, that's all the speculation I'm going to do into Brady's retirement. It's just that sometimes you can tell a lot by the look on a player's face, and he just did not look like he had one shred of, of caring uh, left in his bones. And so now Tennessee moves on to the Baltimore Ravens and their vaunted offense with Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. And I think I read somewhere that between those two teams, we're going to have up to five Heisman winners on the field at one time, That's which is insane. pretty crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, with between RG3, Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Derek Henry, oh, can you, can you get the fifth one? Okay, Mark, our listeners can. Let's see. Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, Derrick Henry. What was the other one you said? RG3. RG3, Ravens and Titans. Tannehill didn't. Jackson didn't, obviously. Um, it's got to be a random backup or something right. like that. And I'm uh, trying to remember, too. It I'm wasn't. Probably, okay, so you already said Mark Ingram, so it can't mm-hmm. be. Uh, Deion Lewis didn't. Uh, there weren't any receivers or anything. I, I really don't know. All right. Well, oh, well, wait, no, honest. Marcus Mariota. Oh. oh, there we go. Okay, so hopefully we get all five of those guys to touch the ball at some point uh, throughout the night. Um, that would just be kind of a historic moment for football, period. And so back to wildcard weekend. Um, I think my favorite game, actually, was the Houston-Buffalo game. Uh, you know, I, I was really rooting for the Bills coming into this. Um, 
Josh Allen was an experience to say the least. And, uh, you know, I, I do wish, uh, as much as I can, I have well wishes for the Buffalo Bills moving forward because I really like, I really appreciate that franchise. Their fans deserve a winning team. Um, unfortunately, this just was not the year. Uh, Deshaun Watson went all Deshaun Watson on them and ultimately is taking the Texans to the divisional round to take on the Chiefs, which should be a fun game uh, as well. So uh, what were your thoughts on the Houston Buffalo game? It was so entertaining. Anytime you go through that game and thought you'd seen everything, first the kickoff return that probably should have been a touchdown for the Bills and it wasn't. Then you've got Josh Allen running for plays and trying to like lateral the ball 20 yards down the field. And <laughs> and then Deshaun Watson, honestly, I mean – my favorite non-Packer to watch is probably a close tie between Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. And Watson, I mean, he's not Michael Jordan, like Dabo Sweeney suggested, but that is a Michael Jordan-esque play, that last play where he escapes a sack on some dude that was running his mouth to him probably 20 minutes prior in real time and creates a play out of nothing and drags a Texans team that, quite honestly, that Texans team is not any good. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's really... You know, you kind of watch that game and you see Buffalo wins the line of scrimmage on both sides all day long. And there are times, most, more often than not, actually, that's going to win you a game. Tennessee, New England, kind of like we talked about earlier. But then what can kind of change that is that the, the Texans have some stars that can tilt the field. Deshaun Watson's one. DeAndre Hopkins made a big play. JJ Watt had a big second half playing with one side of his body. That guy, he's, I find him to be incredibly corny. But he's very good at football, and I, mm-hmm. I can't wait for his Julius Peppers contract here in Green Bay. Uh, but it was a lot of fun to watch. I'm happy the Texans won because I'm ready to see that Mahomes versus Watson game on Sunday. I think Kansas City's going to end up winning that game by a lot. But the idea that it could be a duel between the two best young quarterbacks in the AFC, along with Lamar Jackson, obviously, two of the three best, uh, that's exciting. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually very much looking forward to that matchup between Mahomes and Watson. Um, you, you know, you mentioned JJ Watt. He, he, he liked Deshaun Watson as simply a winner. He, he's a guy that you want on your team because he's going to make the play, the big play when you need him to make the big play, and he's just going to fire everybody else up. He's a winner. Uh, Absolutely. but that game, I'm sorry? Absolutely. Yeah, so, and if, if he, you know, felt so inclined to take a Julius Peppers like contract and come live in, come live in the North for a little bit again, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. So uh, hopefully that's something that comes to fruition down the line. We'll see if uh, Goot can pull his, uh, we'll see magic beans and, you know, we'll go plant him and see what happens. And anyway, moving forward to the rest of the wildcard weekend, uh, we had the dreaded Vikings and Saints. I was actually dreading this rematch a lot because of the game last year. I just was not ready to relive all that again. But Vikings and Saints, which actually ended up being, in my opinion, a little bit of a dud. It was a good game. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but there was just some things that just kind of really rubbed me the wrong way. And I just was, I lost interest by about fourth quarter until it got super interesting within the last like four minutes. But what were your thoughts on the Vikings and Saints game this, uh, today, Sunday? Yeah, I had a friend of mine ask me the night before, like, are the Saints going to win by 40? And I said, no, I don't think so. I think that the Vikings, the way they want to play, I know the Saints have a good run defense uh, by the numbers, but that's kind of a mirage because they've played from ahead so often that teams really can't run the ball because they're trying to keep pace with Drew Brees and that Saints offense. And really, I think the most surprising part of this game to me, and the Vikings defense is good. I think that's something that's been a little lost in translation. Mike Zimmer is a very good defensive coach. I thought his game plan was phenomenal. We talked about it pre-show. 
him moving Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter inside on passing downs to really get them away from the the Saints tackles, which are very good, and getting them on some guards, which aren't as good pass protectors. That was a big play in the game, and it was surprising to me that I mean, listen, I don't I know that there was some discussion after the the uh, Drew Brees broke some of those passing records that are this season that why isn't he in the conversation for greatest of all time? And I've just never believed that. Uh, I think he's a very good quarterback. I think that, uh, you know, he's probably in that second tier, uh, 10 to 15 range if you want to rank him that way. Uh, and I think he's kind of been aided by a dome a little bit. But today, arm strength wasn't there. He underthrew one pass that got intercepted. And I mean, honestly, when the Saints needed a deep ball, it was Taysom Hill that was throwing the ball. And that's crazy. To me, that Drew Brees just played as poorly as he did. He threw an interception. He had a big fumble uh, when the, the Saints were driving to tie the game, and he ended up fumbling away that opportunity to where the Saints could have kicked a field goal that may have won the game at the end instead of tied it, but he fumbled the game away. And you got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, Packers fans, we've taken a lot of joy in making fun of Kirk Cousins, and the Vikings clearly don't fully believe in him either. When it's second and 17 and they run a draw, it's like, in a, in a playoff situation where they need to get a first down, and I think a first down won the game in that scenario. I mean, they were playing – yeah, there you go. So they were playing like Duck Hodges was their quarterback, and this is a guy they paid $84 million to. The Vikings may not believe in him, but two big throws. Yeah, you can argue one of them should have been offensive pass interference, but it was really put in a spot that only Rudolph could make a play on it. And the throw before that to Adam Thielen, that was – that's the throw that Kirk Cousins has never made in his career. And he did it in maybe, I think if you had polled everyone and said which team in the NFL playoffs has the best home field advantage, they would have to a man responded, New Orleans in the Dome. And they went to New Orleans in the Dome and they were able to control the line of scrimmage on both sides and Kirk Cousins made one big play. And because of that now they're going to San Francisco where I don't think they'll win, but I do think that they have some matchups there where they could potentially have a chance to keep that game close and competitive and give the Packers a chance to win and host the NFC Championship game. That would be amazing to get two more games at Lambeau this year instead of just one. Uh, I, I think that that matchup specifically uh, between San Francisco and Minnesota, it's going to be a good one. I, I think that they match up very well in a lot of different areas. Um, but ultimately, I think that San Francisco is just the better built team, um, overall more talented, and uh, probably better coached. Even though the not to say that the Vikings are poorly coached, but the that San Francisco team is just going to be a force. And yeah, it's not Shanahan be and Coach Meatball. What's the D coordinator's name? I never know. Uh, Sala. Yeah, yeah that, Sala. That's what I call him, Coach Meatball, because there's <laughs> there's some talk about that dude getting defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm sorry, head coaching looks, and there is no way that plays well for over more than one year. There's just no way. No. I, he reminds me of a guy you, that you just go into the gym and he's sitting at the protein counter taking protein and then he just walks over. He does like a rep, goes back and gets his protein. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but basically uh, uh, he reminds me of that kind of guy. So you call him a meatball, maybe a meathead if you want to get into the weeds. But anyway, moving on as I digress. So Minnesota takes on San Francisco. That's going to be a game to watch for sure because if the Vikings win, the Packers will get home field advantage in the conference championship game should they get there. Their obstacle is the Seattle Seahawks, who took on the Philadelphia Eagles today. Bless their souls. No Carson Wentz after the first quarter. Uh, Josh McCown made history coming in as the 40-plus-year-old quarterback. I think he was uh, – there was there was some statistic. You can go back and find it. It's, it had to do with his age and playing in a playoff game. But um, he performed exactly how I would have expected a 40-plus-year-old, 17-year vet quarterback to play. Uh 
Not a lot of movement from him. He was pretty much a standing tree in the pocket, but, you know, he was able to make some good reads and make some good plays, but anything outside of that, and he struggled quite a bit. So looking at the Seattle team, uh, Philadelphia, just honestly, my own analysis for them is that they were just an injury-battered team who could not overcome the injuries, and that's it's very unfortunate. But, you know, if you look back at any Super Bowl winner, even the Eagles back when they won a couple years ago, they remained healthy. And that's honestly one of the biggest factors to any Super Bowl run. So, unfortunately, the Eagles season is over. But the Seahawks, um, I'm going to be honest with you. The Seahawks, yes, they won the game. But I didn't feel like they were that much better of a team as a whole. And that's something that we can kind of hash into here. Uh, I think that they made the plays where they needed to make the plays. But overall, I, I thought the teams were actually pretty evenly matched. And like like the other games this weekend, they were all kind of ugly. And the Seattle-Philly game definitely did not escape that. And so Packers got to be licking their chops seeing all these ugly games played this weekend. But Seattle-Philly, what were your what were your thoughts there? Uh, first and foremost, I mentioned earlier one of my favorite players. I feel for Carson Wentz. Um, you know, it's his first playoff start. Not a lot, but there's enough people. One is too many that kind of have that idea of Nick Foles in the shadows. And that had to be on his mind at least even for a second. And he he plays all 16 regular season games. And then on a play that is really just kind of a – it's nothing that, that could foresee him as injury prone or anything like that, which is, right. I think is an unfair label. But his head gets driven into the ground. He has a concussion. Uh, word hasn't surfaced. I know they said that his wife had been escorted down to the, to the locker room, so that's not good. Uh, Josh McCown, he's 40 years old, and I'll forever love him for his run in 2003 that saved uh, the Packers season that year, throwing a touchdown pass to Nathan Poole. But, I mean, you could just tell if Seattle was able to build a lead of any substance. I said it to – my brother was watching the game with me uh, at halftime, and I said to him, you know, the Eagles need to keep this game to where they only have to score – one touchdown. And as soon as it was 17 to six, they had to score two. And that really felt like, even though the Eagles had chances at the end, it was just, you can win with Carson Wentz handing the ball to Miles Sanders and Boston Scott and throwing to Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, and a practice squad group at wide receivers. It's really hard to do that when it's Josh McCown, who's 40 years old, never has been a great quarterback. He's really there for his mentorship more than anything else. It's unfortunate on the Seattle side of things. DK Metcalf is an explosive weapon. I think that's fair. I think that you can see that they're missing quite a bit on the offensive line. The Eagles, for some weird reason, weren't able to get a pass rush really going on Wilson, which I thought was a little strange. But I think that that is, I guess we're kind of segueing a little bit, but I think that's something that bodes well for Green Bay. Fletcher Cox lived in the backfield for a while. Seattle wants to run the ball, but they really can't. Uh, Travis Homer is an undrafted rookie, and Marshawn Lynch is 835 years old and just doesn't have the juice like he used to. He still has some moments. You saw his touchdown run. That was impressive. But other than that, I don't want to sound overconfident, but like I said last week with Maggie and Nick on our episode, that if you ask me which team Green Bay could play that they match up with the best, I said Seattle. So... I'm feeling really good. I'm freaking juiced up. I don't want to wait a whole week for this game to start. But I think this broke really well for Green Bay to have a chance to go play in the NFC Championship game. Well, and then also to have a home field advantage, potentially, even in that game. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going Green Bay's way, as they really have all year long. You know, there's really no denying it. You know, they've... 
They've had a lot of things fall their way. I don't want to jinx anything, so I don't really want to talk about it a lot. Uh, maybe, maybe in a, about a week or so, or two weeks, or actually, let's make it, let's make it three. Um, we can start talking about those things. But until then, basically, the Packers had a lot of things go their way, and they continue to get those. Uh, they're gonna, I think, to beat Seattle, they're gonna have to be fundamentally and technically sound. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind when you start playing the Seattle offense with Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, um, they have a lot of speed on the outside, so there's going to be a, quite a bit of cover two or cover three even, in, in my opinion, with, to, to keep those guys underneath. I, I believe it's going to be a bend-but-don't-break type of style for, for Patton. Uh, he's just going to try and contain Wilson, um, not let him, you know, extend plays drastically, maybe, you know, try to keep that to a minimum. I am having a little bit of a second thoughts about Blake Martinez going into this game, you know, because when the Eagles were spying Wilson, they were using a safety. I don't know if Patton's going to do the same. He, he's going to have Raven Green and Ibrahim Campbell, excuse me. Um, but that's going to be key is containing Wilson and not letting him extend these plays because that's the bread and butter of the Seahawks offense right now. And a big part of that, which was my main point before I started ranting, is tackling. This Packers team is going to have to tackle, and they're going to have to tackle well. Um, you know, it's kind of funny to think about this being such a key point for me right now, considering where this team was in the preseason. And I think that they've made a lot of strides in, in improving their tackling as a team, but I am worried about them going into this game with the slippery Russell Wilson and a physical DK Metcalf and a, just a behemoth of a man in Marshawn Lynch. I'm worried about their ability to tackle these guys and contain big plays. Yeah, I think that's kind of fair. Uh, they've done better, especially recently. Uh, the last couple games, they had some really good fortune and some really good games in terms of not missing tackles. Now, granted, Detroit is one of the worst teams in football, and Minnesota doesn't have quite the playmakers like that that Minnesota, or, uh, Seattle has. excuse me. And they definitely don't. Well, not without Dalvin Cook. Yeah, not without Dalvin Cook and – Kirk Cousins is not Russell Wilson. So my biggest thing going into this game, is the tackling will matter because there are going to be moments where you're one-on-one in space with a guy like Tyler Lockett, with a guy like Russell Wilson. But my biggest thing is, you know, you heard it with, uh, what it, what was the thing when the Cowboys played against Aaron Rodgers? Keep the rabbit in the hole or something like that. Whatever the whatever their analogy was, is Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Z. Whoever they, was Rashawn Gary, whoever it is they put on the inside there, they have to push the pocket and keep him in it because Russell Wilson outside the pocket, he made some devastating plays today, not just with his legs to run, but de- running with the ability to extend plays and make throws down the field. There was a second and 19 he completed to Tyler Lockett. That turns into a first down. That was a big play in that game. I mean, Seattle, you know they're going to try and muddy it up. You know they're going to make it ugly. It'll probably take 10 more years off my life, but that's just the way of this Packers team this year. If you look at Seattle's offense, I just mentioned, if they can keep Russ in the pocket, and I think they have a good chance of doing that, I think they have a good chance of putting him under pressure uh, and honestly getting him to the ground. I think their corners match up well. You mentioned their two best receivers. Kevin King, uh, DK Metcalf, runs well in a straight line, and is uh, he runs slants and goes, and he's really good at those. Guess who's really good at defending those? Kevin King. I mean, they're not going to run drags and they're not going to run out routes and those those deep comebacks or anything like that. Then those are the things that King typically struggles with. And Metcalf, he's been their most productive receiver, but their best receiver, the guy that is probably number one in the game plan, is Tyler Lockett. And Jair Alexander matches up really well with him. So 
that you have to feel good if you're Green Bay on the defensive side of the ball. And then if you want to look at Green Bay's offense against Seattle's defense, we can do that. But on defense, I really think that all the matchups where the game really matters, the things that Green Bay struggles with is run defense and playing against the tight end. Well, Jacob Hollister is a good player, but he's not going to confuse anybody for Zach Ertz or anybody, George Kittle, anybody like that. And as far as their running game goes, you meant Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch with a banged-up offensive line. I think Kenny Clark has a chance to completely wreck this football game. And I, I, I really think that'll be the difference early on because if Seattle can't get anything going, then Russ kind of has to start playing fast break ball in a stadium that he hasn't played all that well in. Well, he is making his return to Wisconsin. Um, I'm trying to remember the last time he played in Green Bay, to be honest with you. Uh, the only one that comes to mind is the fail Mary. Gosh, I can't believe I said that. But, I, you know, I, Russell Wilson is an MVP candidate. He's not going to win MVP. That's Lamar Jackson's, you know, award to lose right now. But he was certainly in the conversation for it, and for good reason. He carries this team. He carries this offense. Uh, you know, I was talking to some other buddies today about the Seahawks game and just the amount of – the amount of offense that he creates after the play has broken down and just his his on-the-move accuracy and ability to find the open receiver in the open window is just uncanny. Uh, and that that doesn't even factor, his ability, factor in his ability to take the ball and run it for 10, 15, 20, 25 yards. So he, he's just a nightmare. And honestly, I don't think you should expect to contain him. You just need to contain the offense. And I honestly believe that the bend but don't break philosophy will be huge because the Seattle Seahawks are thriving off of big plays this year, deep balls, deep passes. They're thriving off those. And I believe if you could shut those down with no Chris Carson, no Rashad Penny, Marshawn Lynch and Travis Homer are not going to break this game open. I'm, they're not going to do it. <laughs> and I, I just – I really do like how the defense matches up. On the offensive side of the ball as we transition, you know, they've got Jadavian Clowney, obviously, Bobby Wagner. Uh, nobody in the secondary is truly frightening anymore. They have Shaquille Griffin, who, you know, he'll probably get thrown on Devontae Adams. So it's going to be up to I, – I would probably say the tight ends are going to be useless for Green Bay in this game. So I'm looking at the second, second and third receiver, another hot topic for Packers fandom uh, during this 2019 campaign. Somebody's going to step up in the receiving core and make a play. It's that simple. Yeah, I, I think that you've said it very well. The The Seahawks don't have a pass rush. Uh, they finished with, I believe, the fewest amount of sacks in the NFL. Clowney's playing at about 80%, and he's basically said he's letting it loose on Sundays, and everything up until then is just waiting. It's not the matchup that typically – the matchups that typically hurt Bakhtari – or Bakhtiari, excuse me, and Brian Balaga are speed on turf. And that's just not what Zedevian Clowney – does and this game's not going to be played on turf. So they struggle stopping the run. They're not very good against the pass. I think a lot of what Seattle does and a lot of what people think about them is reputation based. They're like, oh, Seattle, tough defense. Well, not really. I mean, they're one of the worst defenses in the NFL this year. Give up a lot of yards. They've won a lot of close games, and that's, I mean, a credit to them. They've won. They've made plays when they needed to. But you mentioned big plays real quick to switch back to defense. The Packers secondary is better than Philadelphia's. Philadelphia was playing with a mash unit in the secondary. Their safety play is not very good. And Green Bay's safety play is good with Darnell Savage and Adrian, uh, Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos. Then you add in the corners in that matchup earlier. So I think the big plays portion should be okay. Uh, offensively, you can run the ball on Seattle. 
Uh, Philadelphia had some success with it today with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. No disrespect to those guys, not Aaron Jones. And Green Bay's offensive line is healthy. Philadelphia's wasn't. They were playing with a backup guard and a backup tackle. <sighs> Again, I don't, I don't want to sound overconfident, but they don't have anybody that can take away Devontae Adams. They don't really have anybody size-wise that can match up with Alan Lazard. The only way I can picture Green Bay losing this game offensively and laying up a turd is if Jimmy Graham is like the focal point of the offense or something like that. I mean, I really don't know how Green Bay can do that. Seattle just, it's not, this isn't the Legion of Boom. This isn't the 2012, 2013 Seahawks that many people thought was going to be a dynasty. It's a team that they've won 11 games. They were one and three in their last four. They lost to a really bad Arizona Cardinals team at home. They've played well on the road. Kudos to them on that. But I just, I can't see it. And I know that's probably bad. And that's probably where Russell Wilson throws five touchdowns and sends the Packers home or something stupid like that. But I just really struggle to see what is a matchup that Seattle has that is in their favor. I mean, I guess you could say Bobby Wagner is better than Blake Martinez, but like that's not really a matchup that's going to come into play all that much because, and they can't really isolate their running backs or their tight ends or anything like that on Martinez and coverage. I just really, I think Green Bay can win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I've talked about that a lot tonight. I think that's a big deal. Aaron Rodgers, if nothing else, is not going to turn the ball over, and there's place to be made in this secondary. Unless Green Bay just plays the way they did out of the bye against San Francisco, I think we're looking at a win, and I think we're looking at a chance to play for the NFC Championship, whether that's against San Francisco or Minnesota. Well, I I think you're underselling Bobby Wagner a little bit. I, I actually think that he could be he could be a game breaker, as you mentioned for Kenny Clark against that Seattle offensive line. I, I think Bobby Wagner can be that for this team, the Seattle team against the Packers offense. Um, he, his one job is going to be to sift through the misdirection. Do not allow yourself to become mixed up and, and get confused and get out of place and out of position. That's going to be his one job. His one job will be to keep an eye on the football. And, you know, he's very instinctive, super fast, super athletic in general. I just feel like Bobby Wagner is a guy that they really need to be concerned about in this game because I, I don't know if they've played – I'm trying to remember the middle linebackers that they've encountered this year. None of them are even close to what Bobby Wagner does for that Seattle defense. Um, so, you know, I just think it's going to be a different experience for LaFleur, a different experience for this offense. Somebody needs to step up because Adams is not going to be able to carry the offense. I think Jones is going to actually have a tough day. I, I don't I don't like the matchup as much as you do in the trenches. Uh, Jadavian Clowney is a fantastic run stopper as a pass rusher. He's probably a, he's below elite. Uh, he's very, very good, but he's not, he, that's not what his forte is. His forte is stopping the run. And, you know, with him and Wagner, um, it's going to be a challenge that this team hasn't had really that tandem is not going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge that this team has not had to deal with yet as far as running the football. So running the football will be key and keeping those linebackers at bay. I think that attacking the middle of the field is going to be the, the recipe to success for Green Bay. And Devontae Adams, uh, I, I should have a good day. Jimmy Graham, uh, I don't expect him to have much of an impact, but he's probably going to have to at least be there and be present. And when his number is called two or three times or four, hopefully not more than that, 
he's going to have to make a play because he's going to have to make those, like I said, linebackers respect him. So I, I think that that's the key to beating the Seattle defense is just removing that second layer. Yeah, I think that'll be that'll be interesting. I mean, there's there's a few things I suppose I didn't really think about it that way, and just this is really the first bit that I've thought of as far as diving into Green Bay versus Seattle. I uh, I mean, I, I do think that that's a possibility, but I do think that if you look at it, quarterback, let's just call it a wash. Let's say Wilson and Rodgers are both really good, and let's just say it's a wash. Okay, even if you want to say Wilson's better I'll, at this point in their careers, I'll give you that. Offensive line, Green Bay's better. Pass rush, Green Bay's better. Cornerbacks, Green Bay's better. Uh, those are the four biggest things that matter. And in terms of running the ball, Green Bay's got a better running game. I just, I think if you did like a checklist of who's better at what, I think coaching, you can give the edge to Pete Carroll simply because Matt LaFleur's never coached a playoff game before. But there's a lot of things that aren't going to line up for Seattle. And you mentioned peeling away that second layer. I think that's something that Matt LaFleur can can definitely dial up and have a way to do that. And the same with Mike Pettin on the other side of the ball. All right. Before we leave, because we won't get a chance to talk about this game again, um, at least not in a sense of recording, um, give me one X factor, one X factor uh, for both teams on both sides of the ball. Okay, so for Green Bay, I think their X factor, and I talked about this in a story that I wrote for Dairyland Express last week, and that was that – I thought regardless of who they played, Alan Lazard is an X factor for the Packers this postseason because even though I said they don't have anybody that can cover Devontae Adams, he's going to draw all the attention, and it's going to be up to somebody else to make those plays. Well, Lazard has been that guy since the Detroit game on Monday night in October, essentially. He's been the team's second-best wide receiver. He'll have to make some plays. Defensively, it's not. I guess it's not really an X factor because – He's been one of their best players all season long, but I think Preston Smith could potentially be one because Zadarius obviously is going to draw a lot of attention. Kenny Clark in the middle is going to draw a lot of attention. That might free up some stuff for Preston Smith, who, I mean, it's a, it's a first world problem, but he's been kind of quiet for the last month or so. A little banged up potentially. Uh, he's missed a couple practices last week with the injury report. So I think that's it for, for Green Bay, Preston Smith and Alan Lazard. Seattle offense and defense. Their offense, I really think it is up front because if Russell Wilson's running for his life, he's able to do some magical things, but scramble ball, run around, throw it up for grabs. This Packers defense is very opportunistic, and they'll take advantage of stuff like that. So I think they have to be able to block. I think they have to be able to hold those guys off at least for a little bit uh, because, uh, let's be honest, guys, they're missing three of their starting offensive linemen. They're probably not going to win that matchup more often than not. So they're going to have to do some creative stuff with their scheming to keep Wilson protected, but I really think that's one thing. Can they give him enough time to create some plays down the field? Because like you said, that's what they've thrived on. Excuse me. Defensively, Condre Diggs has been a big addition for this team all year long. I still don't really understand why the Lions traded him, and apparently neither does anybody in the Lions locker room, but that's neither here nor there at this point. He's a playmaker. On the back end, I think that there are some chance. This is a game. These are the games in the playoffs where one play like that, one way or the other, can really swing it. And a potential where you trick Aaron Rodgers into an interception—that's something that could be a big play. And Diggs has had his fair share of those uh, since coming over to Seattle. So I think that those are your guys on the Seattle side of things. They're five guys up front, and then they're one guy on the deep back end. Yeah, 
That's that's a good list of guys. Um, right off the right off the bat, I have to agree with you with the Seattle offensive line because we start looking at the trenches. You you take the Green Bay offensive line, the Seattle uh, the Seattle front. I'm taking the Green Bay offensive line. So you go back to the other side. You know, I'm also taking the Packers front over the Seattle offensive line. It, it's just. They're just better, and that's fine, but they still have to show up. So if the Seattle offensive line shows up, then this defense could be could be in for some hurt because Russell Wilson's going to have all day, plus he'll likely be able to extend the play because your chances of stopping that are very, very difficult. So my actual X factors for the Packers um, on offense is going to be Devontae Adams. We talked about him getting Shaquille Griffin. Um, most likely he'll get Shaquille Griffin most of the day. He, he needs to win that matchup. He needs to catch the ball consistently. He's not going to make the big play necessarily, but he can open things up for others to make the big play. So, yes, the Seahawks are probably going into this game thinking, man, we got to take out Devontae Adams. He's their one really, really good receiver. So what better way to break their game plan by Devontae Adams is going in there and putting up his 10 catches for 140 yards, a touchdown or two, you know, what better way for him to, for the team, for the offense to really get going than for him to get going. So... He would be my X factor on the on the offensive side of the ball, and then the defensive side of the ball. I'm actually going to go with Blake Martinez. I briefly talked about it uh, earlier. I'm a little bit concerned about his ability to track down Wilson and keep him keep him at bay, uh, keep him in the pocket, keep him contained. Uh, so he it's going to be up to him. I, I think in the middle of that defense to coordinate everybody, to coordinate everything for himself to be in, in, in a proper position to make a play if he needs to. Um, the running game, Seattle wants to get the running game going. They want to. They have not been able to because of the injuries to the offensive line and the injuries to the running back position. They've struggled to actually get the running running game going. They want to do it, though. So they're going to try to do that right away. It's going to be up to Blake Martinez to get this defense Tighten it uh, in the run run department. So on the Seattle side of the ball, it, I, I I don't know if I would consider Metcalf an X factor, but he's definitely a guy that they're going to have to contain. He's the primary deep threat. Lockett's a very close second. Um, Kevin King, we talked about him matching up well, but there is the one thing that DK Metcalf does do well. It's one of the few right ru- few routes, excuse me, that he runs well is a comeback route actually, and so. I'm worried about King a little bit. I think that they match up physically very well. However, I think that schematically, they're going to take advantage of King. Uh, they're going to try to take advantage of King, so it's going to be up to him to step up, like he has all year, and make another big play to, to kind of save this defense. So going on the other side of the ball, uh, real quick. So for Seattle, it's going to be, honestly, it's going to be pass rushers outside of Jadavian Clowney. So Rasheem Green... Um, I think Nazir Jones, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple of guys that they rotate in and out. Uh, Puna Ford, I wouldn't really consider him a pass rusher, but he'll be, he'll be part of those packages. Getting pressure on Aaron Rodgers, um, and really just kind of making him make bad decisions. So the Seattle defensive line is going to be, um, also a big matchup. So a lot of focus on the trenches for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that Kevin King is another good one. That's kind of the way it's been. You know, most of the year, Alexander's definitely had his lapses, but for the most part, teams have kind of avoided him and tried to get King. And to King's credit, he was really up to the task. He's played really well, especially the last couple games of the season here. Um, you know, King's probably, he's not as bad as his detractors think he is, and he's not as good as the people that are annoyed by the TJ Watt stuff think he is either. He's a good player that's inconsistent that doesn't have a lot of experience. I think that's been King's exactly. biggest issue. And next year, I mean, granted, I don't want to start talking about next year too much, but I think that really could be a big year for Kevin King uh, after getting a Super Bowl ring here uh, in 2020, having a chance to come back and really play well and earn himself a second contract here in Green Bay. 
yeah, that contract year usually does wonderful things for players to to really motivate them and uh, push them to the next level. But moving on here, uh, that was Wild Card Weekend and uh, previewed briefly uh, the divisional round. So be sure to jump onto the Pack-A-Day Podcast Twitter. Um, it's at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And leave us your thoughts. Uh, talk to us. Everybody's usually pretty responsive on Twitter and um, you know, we just love interacting with the fans. So definitely jump over there and give us your thoughts. Um, give us your X factors on offense and defense for both teams. So as I leave you here, uh, with Jacob Westendorf on this fine Sunday night heading into Packers playoff week, um, enjoy it. Don't, don't try to stretch yourself out too much. Um, you know, it's been a couple years since the Packers been here and I, for one, am just going to enjoy it because even though it was not a dark time, it felt like a dark time living living over the last couple of years and having bad Packer teams. So that is all I have for you guys. Jacob Westendorf, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of joked about it today that it's – I think that people just need to sit back and enjoy the ride of what's going on because I think that there's a lot of people that just assumed they knew what was going on. The idea that New Orleans was going to win by 40 and that they were the best team in the NFC and the Packers are the worst 13 and 3 two seed ever and New Orleans deserved that bye and New Orleans lost at home to a Minnesota team that finished 10 and 6 this year that they probably should have beaten. They were almost eight point favorites against them. I, I think we just need to sit back and enjoy this. It may not be pretty. It might take a lot of time and a lot of gray hair into you now, but the Packers have to win two games to get to the Super Bowl. One of them is going to be at Lambeau Field against a team they match up really, really well with. They have a good chance to do something special here. And honestly, this season already is special, regardless of how it happens. I know that people say, oh, it's called Title Town. Spare me, because there is no way that any of you, except for James Jones, came into this season and said, oh, yeah, they're going to go 13-3, and and let's just assume they win Sunday and play for the NFC Championship game. There's no way. They're 13-3. and They've already won a playoff game by my estimation. Getting a bye is the same thing as winning a playoff game. You just had a chance to get to the second round without having to play. That's a positive. The culture has turned around, especially after a last two, the last two years here in Green Bay have not been very good. Uh, some dark times and there was a chance for this to really fall off a cliff and it hasn't. So I think that's a positive. The Packers are good enough to beat anybody they play against. And that includes having to go to San Francisco, having to play Kansas City or Baltimore in the Super Bowl, whoever it is. Whatever it is, Green Bay can win. Sit back and enjoy it. Let's have some fun next weekend. If you're going to the game, make some noise, rattle this clown, and beat up on the Seahawks. I love it. I love it. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Packers winning ugly this year. If if this weekend was any indication of how these playoffs are going to go, I really like the Packers' chances. They're very, very good at winning ugly. And if, if these games are going to be won ugly, then let's go. Let's go, Packers. So, uh, with that, uh, I will bid adieu. So thank you for joining us again on the Pack-A-Day podcast. We're here 24-7, 365 or 366, depending on the year. Uh, stay tuned to everything that we're doing here. Um, it's just a lot of fun. It's a great group of people. And uh, we love talking about Packers, and we love talking about Packers with the fans. So we can be found on Spotify, um, iTunes, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, don't don't hesitate to interact with us on, on Twitter, at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And um, until then, go Pack Go and have a, have yourself a happy Packers playoff.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.